Hi, welcome back to Tent Talks. We've got Liz Steika and Taylor Biddle with us. We are talking all things midwifery. We're going to dive into more information on body autonomy and the word normal. And I don't know, just see where the conversation goes. What do we want to start talking about, Liz? Sure. Well, we end up talking about normal, which I think brings up so many different directions because normal, at least when I think of the word normal, it feels very narrow. It feels like a measuring stick that you hold Mm -hmm. up. And how are you going to hold up a measuring stick to something like pregnancy and birth, which not only do you have each individual person and all of the background and experience that they bring with them as an individual human coming to this moment, but birth itself encapsulates, it's a microcosm of life, right? Every slice and experience and emotion that one can experience can be encompassed in this this experience. And so when you have this idea of normal, we get asked all the time, is this normal? What should I be expecting to feel right now physically and emotionally? Then I feel like it takes that, it takes the power away from an Mm -hmm. individual to experience this in their own way, always trying to say, well, how is this measuring up against what I should be feeling? Right. So as a provider, you know that the word normal is a huge spectrum. But Mm -hmm. from the vantage point of a client coming in, we understand that we've like created this, this narrow lens for the word normal. And so you have found ways to help clients feel more safe Mm -hmm. and use vocabulary that is more fitting yeah, I one of the they words don't know that I actually tried to train myself away from saying normal, but to use words like expected. Because expected I think encompasses this idea of there's a little bit of bias there of what we think is going to happen, but it may or may not happen that way. And expected I think also acknowledges the other individuals expectations as well. You know, what are they hoping for? And it also brings in the conversation and the relationship that we've developed. We have a common language and a common understanding about what they're hoping for in their care. Yeah. So switching this word from saying normal, because your version of normal is massive, and then using expected with clients that helps them shape the narrative and feel more safe in their body. But there's also this tension because like as a provider, you have so much information and with informed Mm. consent, you can't possibly like give people huge amounts of paperwork or like information dump on somebody, like everything that you know. So you have to somehow figure out ways to communicate like what is okay for people to do. I think there's always an understanding. Well, something that as a midwife, most of us come to this because we want to be on the same team with our clients. However, it can be problematic when we don't still acknowledge the power dynamic that we hold. We have years of experience and training and information. We see someone at their most vulnerable, even down to oftentimes we're standing and someone is on a bed or kneeling on the floor or in water. Oftentimes they're not clothed and we are clothed. And there's so much that's involved in that. And so holding 
that responsibility with care and along with this informed consent, it's a constant walking the line of how do I share enough information that I can support this individual in making choices that are right for themselves. Because with one phrase, I can sway how someone feels about a situation. And that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. We often also have clients ask us, what should I be feeling? Is this normal? When am I going to have a baby? How long is this going to take? Because there's this expectation that a provider is going to tell you when to do something. And we've kind of taken that responsibility away from us. And I think as midwives, we, we do try to put that back on our clients as much as possible to say, this is your choice. This is your ability to make these decisions. We trust you to know maybe not all of the things intellectually, all of the ins and outs, all of the evidence and the science, but you know what you feel. And we're going to try to help you find your way. Well, and cue any like birth scene in a movie. And it's just like, some, you know, major dramatic event and the doctor's always like cueing them. Now you can push. Now and mm-hmm. if you've ever gone to a birth, you know that like you never have to tell a woman to push. Like it's involved like she will be pushing. And I think something that can be overwhelming with informed consent is like giving women their power back because we don't know how to have empowerment in our body. And a lot of women find that in having a baby in birth in an empowered setting. Taylor, can you speak to that? Yeah, I really like how throughout pregnancy, we kind of start with some smaller choices that build up to the birth. You know, when you're in early pregnancy, maybe you're making a choice about, is this blood test the correct, like, does this feel right to me? Do I need to do this for me and my baby or an ultrasound? Do I need this ultrasound? Do I need two ultrasounds? You know, making those smaller decisions so that by the time it gets to birth, when, you know, you really are in that vulnerable transformative space, you can, you know, tap into that power and, and be empowered by hopefully be empowered by your birth team to take control and advocate for yourself throughout the whole process. Like things like Liz, you mentioned like touching the baby as, or like even catching your own baby that can like bring you right back down into your body when you're having this big journey. And it's like, oh, some women are like, wait, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can touch my baby as it's coming out. And That's you're like, allowed. yeah, you're like, yeah, <laughs> this is your birth. You can do it. Yeah. And you have clients who come to us who have had only hospital births and maybe this is going to be their first out of hospital birth or their first home birth. And they go into labor and they have their baby really quickly. And maybe the midwife didn't make it and they did it all. They did it themselves. They caught their baby and they're just like, whoa, I did that. And I can do that, you know? And I think that's happened to every midwife I know, and I know a lot of midwives, (laughs) but I think everybody has had a client that has had a baby before they got there or like right as they're getting there, walking through the door, they're like, the baby's coming. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to know that we can do that because it is a, it's something that can be a very typical part of a woman's experience having a body. Sometimes people compare birth to like getting surgery or something like that. But this is actually something that is really 
typical in a woman's body. It doesn't have to be over medicalized, but thank goodness that we have those options for emergencies. But really, it's like your body totally knows what to do. And there are times when that sort of involvement, embodiment, feels unsafe or, you know, touches on things that maybe a person isn't ready to bring about and where things like epidurals and hospital management are absolutely the, the, right, tools. the right tools. And I think that's really cool that we have those options available for us. And I want to normalize. I want to normalize that as well, because I think sometimes we can swing so far on the, the side of unmedicated, natural, you know, that, that that might have a little bit of a sense of that being what we think is best. But I think it's so, so cool that we can operate in a spectrum of appropriate care. But then going back to, you know, touching your baby as they're being born, really getting in there as a person, as you're giving birth, I think this was my experience and maybe a lot of people have experienced this, but it feels like your head is just like so far away from your body. It's like you're having a baby, but also your brain is like way far away and that can really help to bring everything back. And I would say often gives the birthing person so much good information about when to breathe, when to push, when to move or change position. Is this working? Is this not working? And so much energy and empowerment from feeling the movement and the power of their own body mm. and that they're working with their baby. Yeah. And Liz, I want to just call myself out right now because I've heard you say twice now, birthing person. And I want to applaud you and call myself, I guess, in because I'm calling myself in now. And I'm calling myself into normalizing that like people have babies. It's not gendered. Like people have babies. Yeah. We don't have to just exclusively name it one gender or another. So the modern woman has all these options for her body. And that feels really empowering and really like a lot of responsibility. And sometimes we shy away from it. But it matters. It matters that a woman can feel safe getting an epidural. And she can feel safe having a baby at home. And problems exist when a woman doesn't know that she has options or is a victim to her options. She gets taken advantage of. Or people are making those decisions for the person instead of letting them make the decisions for themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Why is bodily autonomy important? Why, why does choice matter? Why are you guys pro-abortion? Why do you get involved in politics? Because you guys see a bigger side of birth that most people don't. Mm. Something that's coming up for me a little bit is we keep talking about safety. And safety is a word that I think that we use out of convenience. Because we don't have a lot of other terms, maybe, for what we really mean. I think that it's very uncomfortable to think about all of the responsibility, the transformation, and sometimes the discomfort that comes from making choices about your own care and your own path. But when we can integrate that, when we have a team that can help guide us in those uncomfortable, sometimes uncomfortable choices that allows us to be 
in alignment, in tune with ourselves. I think that midwives have always been political. We've always been involved definitely in one way or the other because we can't not because we see the babies we see birth we see the impact of these things and that will always be the bottom line of what we are responsible to and so for every story the opposite is also true for every joyful birth there's also a really devastatingly sad story. And politics is a way that we as a society try to create a sense of safety in something that can't be controlled, that can't be regulated, but we try anyway. I think we feel like we have a right to safety. And I'm not saying that we don't. All of us should have access to good healthcare and every possible support that we can, but we don't always know the outcomes. So politics and political action in general, I think gives us this idea that we can control outcomes. Whereas we as midwives know that birth is a natural event. Or maybe even put things into a box to make them Mm -hmm. more comfortable for society to perceive them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think midwives forever have promoted this idea of autonomy because we get to see what it's like when people come to us who have never had autonomy and then we give it to them. You know, we allow them to find it and the transformation that they go through is amazing to see. We use the idea of a labyrinth a lot because as much as we know now with science and medicine and technology, birth is still a mystery. There's so much that we still don't know about it. Mm. Preeclampsia is one of those ones where it's like, yeah, we can tell you what that is on paper, but any physician will tell you that we still don't know what it is, what causes it. So we have this idea of the labyrinth where each step forward is still the right step. You're still on the path. You're still always moving towards the center. It's not a maze. You're not going to get lost. You're not going to take a wrong turn. But that that path is yours, your path alone to walk. Midwives are willing to fight for women's rights. Midwives regularly are prosecuted just their very job description is slapped with procedures and hoops. And I mean, I went to midwifery school. And in the course of my going to school, the law had changed two times for me to get licensure. And that really rerouted my path to getting a license because I was like, great, well, now I have to do this. And so these hours won't count and this. And so your midwives who are helping women there's very much like justice. And I mean, I've never met a midwife who didn't have like a major political feminist agenda because you're fighting for this bigger fight. Like birth is the oldest thing there is. It's the most sacred passage and you're helping guide people into the world. And also, unfortunately, sometimes out of the world. There's a big disconnect 
between hospital traditional medical systems and the realm that we operate in. And we always, always have clients who come to us with the story of, yeah, my provider was great. It was fine. I just felt like I was part of a machine or I just felt like these things just happened or I didn't feel listened to. I didn't feel supported. And so we know, I think sometimes there's a misconception from, you know, I've talked to like EMS providers and OBs who have said, why do people choose this? Is it, is it finances? Is it the cost? You know, like, I think there's a misconception that a lot of times people either are like super uneducated and so choose this as an option or they can't afford a hospital birth. And when we talk about, no, it's because people want to be heard and they want to be a part of their care, that that comes as a surprise. I was at a hospital once with a family. We were there with their baby and the nurse practitioner kept using phrasing like, well, we just have to do these things. We just have to do this. And they're like, but why? But why do we have to do these things? And everyone was getting frustrated, right? Because the nurse was like, well, this is just just the way we do just things. Just what we have to do, probably because that's just the system that they're operating in, you know? And then, of course, the family was like, you need to give me more information. I don't feel comfortable with that answer. And I stepped out for a moment, and I found myself surrounded by eight nurses and nurse practitioners in this ER saying, you work with this population. How do we get them to do, how do you talk to them? And so it turned into this really cool conversation about, well, you got to listen and you have to come to this knowing that this person has a backstory and a reason that they chose what they chose that probably has less to do with your assumptions than you think. And I have a lot of compassion for healthcare providers in a hospital setting because they're highly regulated. Mm. And the things that are regulating them is like big pharma Mm. and insurance companies. And that's a really yucky reality. But they're held to these really tight regulations because they're just, you know, crossing off the safety of their job, you know. Yeah. And it is often really hard to be that advocate because you go in there and people, they're like, oh, you're just a midwife. You're just a home birth midwife. You know, even nurses who are like, oh, you're just a midwife. Like, this is what we do here. This is how we do it. And so when they have all of these boxes that they need to check, they have all these things that they have to get done in order for this baby to go home or, you know, whatever the situation is. And they're just trying to check the boxes off instead of remembering there's humans involved here. These people have feelings. These people mm-hmm. just had a baby. They're tired. They need some gentle conversation at least. You know, mm-hmm. they need to be heard and they need to have their questions answered. And it's unfortunate that most of the patients that go through their care don't ask the questions, don't require that type of care from the providers there. And so when we go and they're used to getting that from us, because we really do take the time even if it's 2 a.m. and we're tired, we are taking the time to answer the questions, to give the thorough postpartum instructions, to suture when we've been up for 24 hours. You know, whatever it is, we take the time to do that because we care about their experience. And I think there's a lot of, 
I mean, we've all kind of tipped our hats to healthcare workers and essential workers with the pandemic. And I think when we meet anybody that's providing services for humans, like when we meet them in compassion and like gentleness, I think like every nurse that I've had a conversation with and just really honored her role because she's so busy and she's doing the best she can or they I think nurses are so, my sister's a nurse, and they're so like underappreciated and undervalued. And I think it hasn't been until recently that we've really acknowledged that it is hard to maintain a checklist when you want to engage differently, but you have regulation that's... Well, yeah. And I absolutely think that, I I understand why the systems are the way that they are. You have huge numbers of people that are working together, the hospital staff, that they need to be coordinated, and that the way that they maintain safety is by following these rules, getting the checklists, making sure that they're all on the same page. And so, yeah, there's there's just a a little bit of friction there. Because birth is... It doesn't always have to be medicalized. It's optional that it's in a medical setting because it's part of this human experience. want to point out that as out-of-hospital midwives, we aren't against hospital births. And the births that we support in the home or in the birth center setting are low-risk situations. And we're always doing this risk assessment to make sure that, you know, we are in a low risk place and that it's safe for this person to have their baby where we don't have an operating room down the hall. But when we do end up in a situation where we're in the hospital, that's when we see all this friction. Or we have a client who is pregnant with their first baby. Maybe they interview us and they're like, oh, I just feel like I have to have my first in the hospital. Like it's a trial run. Their first, you know, they feel like we've never done this before. We need to be in the Mm -hmm. safest place. And it's really, it's saddening when you have somebody come to you with their second, third baby and they're like, okay, now I'm ready to try it. And then they have this beautiful, beautiful experience and they're, they're in a place where I wish I would have done that with my other pregnancy or pregnancies. Like I wish I would have come here sooner because of what, what it did for me, you know, what it did for Mm -hmm. them to acknowledge that birth is such a transformative thing in their life. And you're only going to have that baby one time. It goes back to the model of care where birth is a normal event. Physiological. Yes. And if there's something, Liz, you said it really beautifully. Like if there's something that is a risk factor that's assessed and managed, but in a hospital setting, it's, like kind of flip the other way. Yeah. Explain that. I think that going back to the midwifery model of care, one of the fundamental differences that I've noticed is that we as midwives tend to look at pregnancy and birth as normal until proven otherwise. And that's what pregnancy care, what prenatal care is all about, why we do what we do is that kind of screening process. But we're going to assume that things are normal until They're They're not. not. Whereas it seems that oftentimes the opposite is true, that in a more medical setting, the assumption is that something could be wrong and we need to do all these things to prove that things are normal. That's a just a very different vantage point. Mm. 
Stacey, you had brought up the big pharma aspect to all of this. And I would say that insurance is probably one of the things that we see every day that is such a barrier to people having autonomy because it influences not only the care that people are able to obtain, oftentimes people don't have the option of working with the provider that they want because they have to go with the provider that their insurance company tells them is approved, their only one. We operate outside of that. You know, we try to bill insurance, which is a nightmare process that often doesn't do anyone any good, but for the most part operate outside of that with the understanding that that means that we get to take as much time as we want. That means that we get to work together to make choices about care, you know, from that rooted foundation in what an individual wants. Whereas I know that a lot of providers are completely bound by the amount of time that they're able to take with somebody. If it's an appointment for a specific thing, maybe they only get 15 minutes and that's all the insurance will reimburse for. And I think that it's ridiculous that care is dictated by these systems that do not have health and care and support as the foundation. And it's a real problem for, for all providers in this country and, and for people that are seeking care. Yeah. It makes a big difference when somebody has to maintain a a rotation of, okay, I've got to, I have a new client every 20 minutes because that's all that this insurance will bill for. And so if I go beyond that, then I mess up the trajectory for my whole day. I won't get to see all my patients and I won't get paid. I won't get paid for that time. Yeah. I think one of the great things that has happened in the last like 10 or so years has been like health savings accounts and flex Mm. spending where people like have some personal autonomy with insurance, but that's a privilege that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. Even to be able to put that money in to begin with can be hard for families sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes birth outcomes are only as well as their privilege and their finances. And of course, race comes into it. It's a real good topic for another day. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, maybe we need to have you back, it sounds like, because we have a lot left to solve all the world problems. We have a lot left to solve. We've only, we've only covered one or two of them. Thank you guys so much for being here and talking about really complex and tricky topics. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah.